Today we're continuing the fourth part of um, our series um, on the book of How, as it's originally named in Hebrew, uh, Lamentations. So if you want to flick in your Bible to Lamentations chapter 4. I had hoped, once again, like last week, that this chapter would be slightly more upbeat than the last, only to discover it's not. <laughs> Things are bleaker than ever. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, forget the music. But yeah, it's it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. It's 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 tough. So, if you'll roll deep with me to Lamentations chapter four, it goes a little like this. Um, actually, before I go back into that, um, as I've said the last few uh, weeks, each of these chapters are all poems, separate poems. Um, four of the poems are acrostic, so they're the A to Z, their language, the Alf to Taf. So the third one was the only one that was different. So all the chapters are 22 verses because there are 22 letters in their alphabet. Um, the third one was 66 verses because um, Jeremiah was vexed. And so he said each letter three times to emphasize his point. We're back now to the world of not being quite so vexed. So it's back to 22 verses. So it's just one, each letter once. Um, so that's kind of the rhyme scheme that's kind of laid out here. Um, and so it goes a little like this. How the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold is, has, is changed. And this is important because in Hebrew poetry, it's not just about like um, the words actually rhyming together. It's often uh, one of the art forms that they really appreciated at this period in time was to say the sta same statement, but twice differently. It's called dualism. So for example, at the beginning of this poem, what you have is how the, gro the, gold, has, the gold has grown dim, how the gold and um, the pure gold is changed, it's just how, like, if you read that in Hebrew, you'd be like, oh, guys got flow. Uh, for you and I, it's like, you just said that twice. But um, I just want you guys to appreciate that the, the writer here had mad lyrical flow. Um, his, his F64 was pretty sick. And um, he goes, the holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold, how they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hand. Verse 3, this is a key, key verse in this particular poem. Even jackals offer the breast. Bow, chicka, bow, wow. They nurse their young. Ooh, not so bow. But the, the daughter of my people has become cruel like the ostriches in the wilderness. Once again, the guy's got mad flow, mad simile, mad pictures. He's a great lyricist. And what he's saying is, like jackals, savage, savage beasts but they still allow their kids to have breast milk. They still supply and take care of them. But he goes, but we're not like that. And then he compares them to ostriches in the wilderness. Now what the ostrich would do is the ostrich, they'll have a nest and it'll be lots of different um, families all in one kind of nest. And you'll have the alpha female. Now the alpha female will come to the nest first, lay her ostrich eggs, and then the others will get their pick. So she'll get the best spot that, so that her eggs have the highest chance of hatching and then the others will come and lay their eggs. Now, when the nest is too full of eggs, they start to kick out the remaining eggs out of the nest. So what he's saying here is that the depravity, the suffering, the poverty in this nation, the gold is not there, the money's not there. And because of that, people are choosing who lives and who dies. And the mums are like, well, I'm not gonna feed this one. And so there's this choice being made, this decision that you're in the nest, you're out of the nest. It's like David Brent in The Office, that amazing episode 
where people are being made redundant and everyone's like, who's going, David? Who's going? And he goes, I can't say, I can't say. And they keep pestering him. Who's going? Who's going? And he goes like, you've got your job. Mm, mm. You've still got your job. <coughs> you've got your job. <laughs> and people are like, really like, oh my gosh. And it's hilarious because it's not real. But if that was your environment and you're being made redundant that way, oh my days, like SmackDown versus Raw, I would kill him. So this is how this is going. These, these, these people are like choosing, you're gonna live. Mm, mm, you're gonna live. Mm, mm, you're gonna live. And so that's how they're doing it. And it's like really brutal. And so, but they're doing this with children. So this is real, real poverty here. Real, real poverty. The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of the mouth. The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. This is now like an Oxfam appeal video in writing. You know when you see those horrible malnourished children? They're not horrible children, but the image is horrible. Because you look at it and it scars you. Exactly, everyone hates them. And you just want to look away. You don't want to hear, you don't want to identify with them. And you think, well, they're far away, they're not ours. They're outside our nest. Are you hearing me this morning? They're outside my nest. I don't have to take care of those. And that's what Jeremiah is doing here. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant, his writing. So he paints such a vivid picture that is hard to read, hard to hear. Those who once feasted on delicious, on delicacies, sorry, perish in the streets. Those who brought, were brought up in the purple embrace ash heaps. He's saying royalty, doesn't matter who you are. Things have changed. The whole system has flipped on its head. Russell Brand's revolution. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which has overfro was overthrown in a moment and no hands were wrung for her. Now, I think that's a really key verse. Actually, one rabbi I was listening to this week says that is the key verse in the whole book. Um, his reason for pointing that out was it shows you that the sins of Israel were greater than Sodom because they don't believe the punishment given to them was unjust. So they're saying our punishment was greater than Sodom, therefore what we did wrong was greater than Sodom. So for the rabbis, the way they look at this is like, this is a really big deal. And this highlights why such a huge judgment fell upon this people was because of their actions. Now, that's also an important verse for us because in our current agenda of um, Christianity and the discussions that are taking place about different sins and about different discussions regarding sexuality, etc. Sodom and Gomorrah always gets labeled as like uh, Brighton. <laughs> it's how it gets labeled in our society. That's how we see it and Christians go hard on it and go ham on it. Well, if we're gonna take the logic of look what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah, remember Sodom and Gomorrah, and we're gonna use that as an agenda for pushing one particular sin as the be all and end all of the Christian faith to argue against. If we're gonna take that ground, then we have to take Lamentations 4 verse 6 and realize that Israel's sins, weren't, which weren't relating to that, were considered far worse because they received even greater judgment. And so the idea and the notion of certain people being outside of the nest doesn't sit too well regarding judgment because Israel received even worse judgment because he says Sodom and Gomorrah happened in an instant. Their suffering was gone, but we are still here and we are still going through this. And he's gonna to continue to justify this afterwards. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coal. The beauty of their form was like sapphire. That's key. That's really key because in their culture and in their context, um, the rich would be in the shade and the poor would be out in the Middle East in heat. 
So when he's saying about their skin being pure, pure than the snow, white than the milk, he's talking about a particular class that were in the shade and were considered beautiful because of the lightness of their skin. And that is really key because in the next verse he says, now their face is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin is shriveled on their bones. It has become as dry wood. They're not recognizable. They are not recognizable. Because of their sin as a nation, because of the judgment that's come on them, because of the people they've become as a result of that judgment, they are now not recognizable. Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger who wasted away, pierced by the lack of fruits of the field. You'll hear like stories in like, when I was in Nam and stuff like that. And you see all these American war films, guys come back from Nam and they got a twitch and they're all messed up. And when they talk about Nam, they start twitching and they start talking about stories. It's amazing, psychologists say that when you're on the battlefield and your friend gets hit by a bullet next to you, you're happy. You're happy because it wasn't you. But then the rest of your life, you live in this place wishing it was you. And that's exactly what you read here. Happier were the victims of the sword. Their suffering was gone. But we live in this place we live in this trauma and we are dying of this long-term starvation and also the psychological scarring as well. And this verse is, this is just where it gets really painful. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. It's grotesque. It's really hard to read. But when you put that in line with um, pure skin, blacker than soot, not being recognizable, you start to get a real picture that Jeremiah is painting. What he's saying is, it's a dangerous place when you're selective of who's within the nest, who's outside the nest, because of your situation. You see, everyone when they got loads of money would do things like, oh, I'd give to charity if I had the money. And when they don't, they start to value themselves above others. The agenda of those suffering around them doesn't get heard anymore because they're not in their nest. And sometimes suffering can change you into the type of person that you wouldn't even recognize if you saw them in the street. Because you were once known as being purer, white as snow and milky skin, because the rich could bathe in skin like the princesses did to keep themselves all moist and, and like, oh no, I don't associate with the lower classes who are in the sun getting beat down and dirty but now they are in that place because situations happen to them. We need to be so careful because you see, when tough times come in life, it's not the tough times that determine to change who you are as a person, but how you respond to the tough times that determine who you become as a person. Are you with me? You can sometimes have these moments where you can look back on life and realize you are not the person you were before. You can have a moment where people meet you in the street and they don't recognize you for the bad reason because you were once this great guy and now you're a jackass. You were once this lovely, beautiful, compassionate woman and now you're a woman who doesn't care about anyone else but yourself and you'll trample over anyone to get what you want and where you want to go. And that's what he's talking about. So the hands of compassionate women. He doesn't say the hands of women. who He, he still talks about in the present tense. Because he's saying, this has done this to us. This has changed us in this way. So we need to be so aware that we might consider ourselves compassionate, but sometimes it doesn't take much to change in our circumstance for us to abandon compassion and aim for self. To be the guy in the trench that goes, woohoo, the bullet didn't hit me. Sweet. And then regret that the rest of your life. Because it's changed us. During the destruction of the daughter 
of my people. Verse 11. The Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger and he kindled the fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe nor any of the inhabitants of the world that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. He's making a point. He's making a key point here as well. He's saying this couldn't just happen to us. We couldn't just be defeated. We were strong, we were mighty. The enemy that overcame us didn't even think they were going to get in the gates. This is because of what we have done. He's building up to that. This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquity of her priests who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. In the earlier chapters, you see this, you did this to us and this kind of shaking the fist of God. There's this now this reluctant acceptance of their sin and their situation as a result of what they've done as a people and they are now in a place of embracing that so they're also acknowledging their current sin and situation of because of the judgment that's been against them they've become a people they don't recognize a people they don't want to be they're realizing their situation is of their own result and as we talked about the last couple of weeks this book is about three theologies theology of pain a theology of sin a theology of restoration when we have the space to go through the pain and move through it, we realize it's as a result of either our sin or sin as a wider, the human race sin, like the generic original sin theology. And then we move to a place where we can encounter restoration. But until we acknowledge that, we can't really move forward. They wandered blind through the streets. They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Um, this is kind of a bit of a, a mistranslation. The way it kind of really is more suggestive of is the blind wandered through the streets kind of treading in the defiled blood of those who are suffering. It's like they don't know where they're going and they've blindly been led into this, this kind of um, situation. Away, unclean, people cried at them. Away, away, do not touch. For they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He will regard them to more. Uh, no, he will guard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests. No favor to the elders. Our eyes failed, ever watching vainly for help. In our watching, we watched for a nation that could not save. They dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near. Our days were numbered, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the heavens. They chased us on the mountains. They laid in wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow, we shall live among the nations. They're saying we relied too heavily on our king. Our king was everything to us. He was the very breath, the very life of our nation, and he was captured. And we lived in the protection of his shadow. That's gone now. We're screwed. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom. You who dwell in the land of Uz. But to you also this cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. Edom's celebrating. They don't really like them very much. And they're having a party. Like, ha, ah, look what's happened to you. And the warning for these guys is, once again, it's the whole ostrich nest scenario. Those outside celebrating the fall of those inside. And then here, the prophet is kind of saying, well, actually, we're no different. And this is coming your way next. And um, you're going to be drunk. That's confused. You're going to be like, and then you're going to be naked. You're going to be shamed, like we're shamed. This is coming your way. Get ready for it. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. 
but your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish and uncover your sins. This is all about bringing to the surface the wanderings of the people, the sins of the people, that through all of this, there might be restoration again at the end, that there might be healing, there might be holiness, there might be a future and a hope. But ultimately, this chapter, more than anything, screams to me about the type of people we need to be when suffering comes. And we need to be the type of people that don't look out for just our clan. The type of people that when things get tough, we don't vote for UKIP. The type of people that when we suffer, we hear the suffering of the ostrich babies being born in the eggs outside that aren't going to survive. We need to be the type of people that see Edom and care about them. We need to be, when we're Edom and we're in peace, caring about those who are in suffering. We need to think bigger because it's okay to have this, this is my tribe, this is my people, but when God speaks, He speaks about us being His children, the children of God. And even when God looked at us and we were of our father, the devil, He loved us and He gave His life for us that yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us and He heard the cry of those outside of the nest. Because every one of us here, none of us are Jewish descent. We were all outside the nest. He heard our cry and he loved us. We need to be people that think bigger than our own nest and care for those around us. This week, um, I've started this coffee stall outside, the old grey, brap, brap, brap. Um, I'm there from like 7am to like 11.30am. And on my way home one day, it had been the worst day we'd had, the lowest sales, and I was on this train. And this woman walked past and she was one of those women that puts out the tissues and then puts out the little note and the message. You got them. I've got them somewhere as well. Oh no, first time I've changed coat. Um, and she put it down next to me. And you know what? I hadn't even read this passage yet and I thank God because otherwise it would have been like, I just did this. It gets put there. I was like, I'm not even going to read your story. I don't even care what it says. I'm buying these things. And she came past and I gave, I gave that pound because I was like, you know what, there are times in my life when I've gone through hardship and I wish someone had heard my cry. I wish someone had cared for me and I could identify what she's going through and I was like, whatever, I'm going in. And so I gave her the money for her, I gave her like a quid or whatever, took those things, even though Jody has a whole freaking multi-pack at home. I don't need them. Jody goes, oh wow, did you feel like you needed them? I was like, no, 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 I knew I didn't need them. You keep buying multi-packs, they're everywhere. So I grabbed it of this woman and you know what happened? It was so, so crazy. And I'm, I didn't do it for this. I did it because I heard a cry she was giving, even though I didn't read the note. I heard her cry. And you know what happened? The next few days, the Lord heard my cry and it started to pick up. And we started to get regular customers that we hadn't got after a whole week of doing it. It hadn't been happening. The next day, all sorts of different customers and clientele are coming that want to network. Someone came who wanted to, us to promote her husband's uh, cheesecake thing to give out free samples in the future. I'll be back with his card soon. Another girl came who works at like Chanel. Another person came who worked in this fashion. Another person came in this. Another person said like, um, all the places I've had coffee, I haven't liked it. You know, if this is good, I'll be back. If not, I'll never come here again. The pressure was on. <laughs> Everyone liked it. Everyone loved it. And they've come back since. And there was this moment, this turning point. And I, I just want to suggest to us, that actually the best thing you can do isn't consolidate your nest and kick out the hatchlings, but to keep looking out and hearing the cries of those around us. Because when we look at our society, there's a transformation happening among millennials and about Generation Z. This world is becoming more and more global and we can no longer look forward to looking after our own. We can no longer be that small-minded. And God is calling us to have a bigger family, to think bigger and to hear the cries of those outside the nest. And just because things are tough, 
we cannot afford to ignore them because it could be to our own detriment one day when we are suffering and when we are in pain and people aren't hearing our cries and that totally sucks and we don't want that to happen to us so let's not allow that to happen to other people I'm just going to pray for us and that will be it for today Father God, I thank you for Lamentations. I thank you for this amazing poetry and prophetic speaking that Jeremiah speaks this, but he doesn't just speak this at a time that speaks in his generation, but it speaks to every generation as a reminder that there is, some, there is a bigger agenda than our tribe and our in-group and the out-group. There is your kingdom. And Father, you wish to build your kingdom. And you said you will call, if you are lifted up, you will call all men to yourself, Father. We want to be a part of calling all men and all women and all children of every tribe, every tongue and every nation to yourself. You're not interested in one small group. You are far more diverse. This is your children on your earth, Father God. And we want to see children adopted into your family just as you've adopted us into your family, Father God. We will not become a people that rejoice at the suffering of others knowing that it's not us. For we know that just like with Edom, judgment could come to our door for our sins at any time for the things that we've done. But Father God, we see that you have a bigger view, that you love us and that you love those outside of our tribe and our tongue. And Father, we wish to live lives that worship you, not just in the songs we sing, Father, but in a passion for those outside of our borders, outside of our kind. Those that use different slang to us, those who use different language, different dialect, those in different classes, different races, different languages, different ways of thinking, different religions, Father God. We want to see them know you, Father. May we be compassionate and may we remember, even in our times of hardship, to reach out and to love. May we not just be a jackal that cares for its own. May we not be an ostrich kicking out those doing natural selection. We are not people that believe in that. We believe in a God who made us in His image. And His image is that those outside get saved and loved and served. Be with us this week. Empower us. Help us to hear the cries of those around us. May we not ignore them any longer. In Jesus' name. Amen.